What's up, family? How are we doing? Hey, guys. Man, I missed you. I missed you guys. I've just kind of been out and about and everywhere. There's a lot going on. Hey, if, if you have no clue what's going on, go to vhmnext.com later and you'll, you'll find out. There's, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in Victory right now. Um, hey, we've, been, we've kind of been in this series called In God We Trust, talking about money and church, how dare we, right? Um, but here we are on the last week of our series, and it was interesting this last week. Um, uh, my phone lease ran out, my two-year phone lease, because that's we live in the world of phone leases. We don't own them anymore, phone lease. And so I, I got a new phone. And because I don't want to be a caveman and have a phone with only one camera, like, I want my phone to be like Jesus' phone, which has three cameras on it, because that's what phones were created to do, is have multiple cameras on them. Thanks, Apple, for ruining everything. And um, so I went in, I got the new phone, and, uh, you know, the Sprint guy's, like, moving everything from my old phone over to my new phone, and it takes, like, a while, you know, but he gives it to me back. And all of my, when I look at it, all of my apps are, like, half downloaded, like, a hundred. How did I get so many apps? Like they're all like half downloaded. And I'm like, Hey, he's like, no, no, no. When you, by the time you get home, it'll be done. I'm like, all right. And so I go home, still not downloaded. I get on Wi-Fi, still not downloaded. I go online. I, well, how is this happening? And so I try every single thing. I like tap it to pause the download, retap it to, to unpause it, turn it off, turn it back on, make sure my payment method is all good. Like I do everything and it's still not happening. And I'm starting to get stressed out because I can't, can't check Facebook <laughs> and I can't check Instagram and my Waze GPS app isn't working. So I don't know about traffic. And I don't know what the weather's going to be tomorrow, people. And then I say those immortal words. I say, God, this is the worst. <laughs> and it was like the first world problems fairy descended into my room, you know? And, uh, you know, first world problems, like the, the things you stress out about that nobody else does, like, like when you say, man, I can't fit all my groceries in my fridge. You know, nobody in the bush of Africa has any sympathy for us when we can't fit all of our groceries in our fridge. You know, when, when the barista puts three pumps of sugar-free caramel instead of two into your venti, you know, half-calf, you know, no, no foam, um, uh, you know, caramel macchiato, um, you might have first-world problems when, um, you know, you're so full the, because you just ate so much, you might have first world problems when you're wearing a jacket on the inside, you know, during the summer because somebody turned down the air conditioning too much. You might, when you're, you and your iPhone 11 won't fit into your skinny jeans, like you might have <laughs> first world problems. Anybody ever found yourself like complaining about first world problems? Like, oh God, my, my DVR shuts off at the worst times. It's, it's the worst, right? And the, 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 the first world problems fairy is like, you're right. I mean, the bubonic plague was really bad, but like this, <laughs> like this is the worst. <laughs> like World War II, I mean, it was bad, but like you can't download your apps. And I think sometimes like that's why we need to be in these environments to remind us that not all the things that we think are problems are really real problems, Right, like if you have a roof over your head and you know where you're gonna eat lunch today, you're already ahead of half the world. And I personally, this is why I think every Christian should have to go on a mission trip at some point in their life. 
because especially if you're from here, we just get caught in the bubble, man. And um, even like, so even a few years ago, we went to Ethiopia and a woman who was from Ethiopia, like Addis Ababa, like she came with us, but she actually had means in Ethiopia. And we went to some of these places that are off the grid and she saw some of the stuff that happens in her own country. And she started weeping because she said, I heard the stories, but I never believed the stories because I had never seen it. And she saw what actually happened in the world outside the bubble and her bubble got bursted. I think some of us, we need to get our bubbles to get popped so we can understand how the rest of the world lives. Like, like think about this. You know, if you, um, like, t- 2 billion people in the world live on less than $2 a day. A, a billion people live on less than a dollar a day. One out of, get, did you know this? One out of every four people in the world don't have electricity. They're not worried about having too many groceries for their fridge because they don't have a fridge because there's no place to plug it in. If you make, I just looked this up, if you make $14,000 per year, you're in the top 10% wage earners in the world. If you make $32,000 a year, get this, you are the 1% in the world. I know it might not feel like it because you're in the wealthiest country in the world. Like in America, to to be in the top 1%, you have to make $450,000 a year. But in the world, you understand that in regards to the rest of the world, like we are very wealthy people. Like when you get on the ground in some of these places, you see the sheet metal roofs, you see the dirt floors, you see the sheet separating one bedroom that's now turned into a two-bedroom home because we got a sheet. Like that's when the reality starts coming in that I know maybe not compared to the Joneses, not compared to the neighbors, not compared to the guys who got the house on the, behind the gate. You know, I know all that, but I'm just saying compared to everybody else, billions of people in the world, we are very wealthy. And I'm not trying to guilt, guilt trip us because we have money. I'm just trying to help us realize we have money, all right? And so the question for today is this, what does God say to the wealthy? What does God say to the people who have means? And here it is. Here's one of the things, 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. You know, the wealthy, the ones who don't have to worry about where you're going to eat lunch later. What does God say? He said, teach those who are rich in this world, us, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Anybody found out that money's unreliable? (laughs) Here one day, gone the next, right? Like, where did it? You ever get paid and you're like, wait a second, I just got paid. Where'd my money go? Right? Economy's up, economy's down, housing market's up, housing market's down, like, like, you know, investments up, investments down. Like money is so unreliable. And it says, don't be proud of your money because money, money and pride go right next to each other. Because when you start making money, you start saying dumb things like this. Well, I have money because I tried hard. And if they tried hard, they'd have money too. And we get prideful about it. And we get detached from the reality of where most people live in this world. Instead, if our, money shouldn't, if our pride shouldn't be in money, if our trust shouldn't be in money, where should our trust be? Their trust should be in God. Because it's not in money that we trust, it's in God that we trust, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them, tell us, to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works. In other words, don't just use your money to send other people on missions trips. Come on, somebody. No, this is the, let's, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. This is the least popular message in the suburbs. So just go ahead and get over it. Deal with it. I have, I have to preach this to myself before I get up here, all right? I know our thing. Whenever you start getting into a little bit of money, it's so, okay, I'll give you $30 for your missions trip. 
All right, I'll support the kid over there in that country as long as I don't have to go. I've heard of preachers before that uh, when missionaries come in to speak, they like threaten their church. They say, if you don't, if you don't support this guy, I'm going to pray that your kids go to the mission field. <laughs> like it's a death sentence, you know. He says, man, if you have means, you still do good. Don't just pay for other people to do good. We have to do good too. And also be generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. And by doing this, they, we, will be storing up our treasures, a good foundation for the future so that we may experience true life. And here's the idea, guys, is that we, we know this. We can't buy our way into heaven. That price has already been paid by Jesus Christ on the cross. Thank God. But here's one of the, thing, the things that we know. One of the best tests, just go ahead and do a test on yourself. One of the best tests about whether or not you were born again is whether or not you're generous. Are you a generous person? Because we have a generous God. Has his DNA gotten on the inside of us? That's the thing. So for today, what we're talking about is how to grow a heart for generosity. How do I grow my heart in a generous way? Now I get this. There are a lot of givers inside this church, but at the same time, I know the area that we're, we're in. I know that there are many of you who grew up in churches that never talked about money because they didn't want to offend anybody because there's two things you never talk about in money. I mean, in, in church, money and politics, right? Because God doesn't want to have anything to do with money and politics. Have you ever read the Bible? Right? So, so because of that, because we grew up in environments that, that didn't really talk too much of that, about that, we, we kind of get a little strange whenever we start talking about money and church. But here's the thing I found out. I've been doing this thing long enough. The only, to know this, the only people who get upset whenever we talk about money and church are the greedy people. So if you're upset right now, <laughs> self-identification is a wonderful thing, right? Just like the only people who get upset whenever we talk about adultery are people having affairs. Come up to me at the door. How do, you went really heavy today. <laughs> well, you're the only one who talked to me about this, so let's go ahead and schedule a counseling appointment. You, you can bring your wife too. Let's just have a little chat, a little chit-chat. And so pastors say dumb things, right? Like, hey, you know, we're going to talk about money, but this doesn't apply to you if you're a first-time visitor. Like, hey, guys, we're talking about adultery, and some of y'all are going to get offended. It doesn't apply to you if you're a first-time visitor. <laughs> so here's the deal. Today, we are talking about money, and we're talking about giving. We're talking about generosity, and it does apply to you if you're a first-time visitor. <laughs> it does, because Jesus has a lot to say about money. Like, like, God cares about what we do with our money. Over 2,000 verses in the Bible having to do with money because God knows the trap of money. That money is not the root of all evil, but it is the root of all kinds of evil. There's a whole, there's a whole lot of bad potential inside of money. So we need to learn how to deal, how to, how to come into to the right context, right regards to money. And so and when, when it comes to generosity, I, I was thinking about this. I think the best way for me to help you to understand generosity is to tell you why I give. Here's why I give. So what I want to do over the next few minutes, I want to tell you kind of a little bit of the journey, a little bit of the thought process that God has taken me on, and maybe wherever you're at in the spectrum today, you can step into that. So here's the deal. I'm going to give you four reasons. Okay, there's a lot of reasons, but here's four, I would say the four top reasons of why I give. Here's the first one. Um, it's because I give because I want to express a thankful heart to God. I want to express a thankful heart to God. Here's the, here's the truth. Again, sometimes we need to be here um, to be reminded how good God is, right? Some of us, we're, we've fallen into the trap of being a, a professional churchian 
right? Like we grew up in church. We know just the spot to raise our hands. know just the spot to like do like this during worship. Like, ah, uh, right? Just the right time to pull out the checkbook and give. Just the right time to say amen, right? And then we wash, rinse, repeat. We do it again the seven days later. And we've lost our joy. And we've forgotten what this whole thing is about. And the good news today is this, is that God so loved the world, including us, that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. I don't have to be afraid of death. My sins are forgiven, separated from me as far as the east is from the west, that when God looks at me, he smiles. He smiles. He rejoices over me with shouts of joy. Right, I am seated with Christ in heavenly places. No weapon formed against me will prosper. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is my provider, my healer, my deliverer, my redeemer. God is so amazing. And I give as a heart response to that. My thank you is through giving. It's almost like, like giving is my thank you card to God. It's the outward sign of the inward reality that I am thankful that giving is worship. In the same way that we lift our hands when we sing to say, God, you are worthy. God, thank you. Me giving online to other people, to the church, wherever it is, is, is a sign of just saying, God, thank you. Thank you. This is, means I don't drop $5 in the bucket. I'm not giving God a tip. God's not my waiter. God is my God. He has saved me, delivered me, washed me, cleansed me, rescued me out of the miry pit, set my feet upon the rock, rescued me out of the kingdom of darkness and brought me into the kingdom of his glorious son, Jesus Christ. Like, thank you, Jesus. Let my whole life be a love letter, be a gratitude. Everything that I have, may it be given back to you because you've given so generously to me, including my money including money, including money. You know, they, did, they actually did a worldwide survey a number of years ago. Like, every continent, they probably found some penguins somewhere. Like, they interviewed, like, everybody. Um, men, women, rich, poor, um, in every continent. And they asked them, they said, what makes you happy? What makes you happy? And here's what they found out. They found out that they don't know what makes people happy. <laughs> but there is one common characteristic that was found in every happy person. Thankfulness, gratitude. And here's how I'd say it. We can't ever lose the thank you for what God has done in our lives. We can't ever lose the thank you. If you're not being a generous person right now, it's because you've lost perspective on how amazing God is. And you've started seeing yourself as your own provider like, I'm the one who saved me. It's my good works that get me into heaven. Like, when we lose gratitude, we can never lose the thank you in our heart for what God has done. Time and time and time again, all throughout the Old Testament, God reminds the Jewish people. He says, don't forget, right? If you know the Old Testament, he says, don't forget that it was the Lord who brought you into the promised land. Don't forget, it was the Lord who parted the Red Sea. 
Don't forget, it was the Lord who delivered you out of Egypt with his mighty right hand. Don't forget, it was the Lord who brought manna in the wilderness. Don't forget, it was the Lord who made the walls of Jericho fall when you marched around him. Don't forget, it was the Lord who brought you milk and honey. Don't forget, it was the Lord who defeated those who were coming against you. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. It was the Lord. But time and 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 time again, the Jewish people think, we did it. We did it. We did it. And they lost a heart of gratitude. May we never forget that it was the Lord, that God is so good. And our lives should be this love letter, this gratitude letter back to God. Think about it like this. It's just as simple as this. Lord's Prayer. God, give us this day our daily bread. When was the last time you actually had to pray that? When was the last time you had to pray, say, God, you promised to provide to the ones who love you. God, my kids are hungry. I don't know where we're gonna have food this afternoon. God, I need you to be Jehovah Jireh, my provider today. When was the last time you prayed that? If you haven't had to pray that in a long time, you should just say, thank you. God, you are my provider. If you are praying that today, let us know. Let a staff member know after service. And we're going to come along beside your family to help you. Because that's what we're called to do as the people of God. But Jesus takes us to this prayer, right? Matthew 6, 19. He says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also, and here's the truth, guys, God doesn't need your money, but he does want your heart. And so that's why God cares about what you do with your money, because it's not that your money follows your heart, your heart follows your money. So whatever you're investing in, you start to care about that thing. You buy some stock, you start caring about that stock. You bought a car, now you care about the car, right? You didn't care about that car 10 minutes ago. Now you just bought a car and you're parking it in the back of Home Depot so nobody scratches it right? Because your heart follows your treasure. That's what happens. And so if I want to have a heart for the things of God, I have to invest in the things of God. It's not just like, I, oh God, give me a heart for the things of heaven, and then I just spend money on whatever I want to. No, because my heart follows my money. If you don't believe me, believe Jesus. Believe the red letters. Your heart follows your, your, your treasure. Whatever you're spending money on is what you're going to care about. I'm not guilt tripping you, but what I am saying is this. I don't want my heart to be parked in the garage. I want my heart to be about the things of God. And so I have to be careful about where my money goes because I'll start caring about those things. And if I want to live with a heart of gratitude, I have to lift my eyes up above just the, the, the little things of this world. And I have to say, I want to invest in that. I want to invest in that. I want to invest in God's things. I want to invest in those people over there. I want to invest in this missions thing over there. I want to invest. I want to get the arrows instead of pointing all at me. I want to start pointing the arrows out so I can start getting a heart for the things of God. I want to care about what heaven cares about. Do you, want to, do you want to care? I want to care about things that are beyond just 50, 60 years right here, and then they're going to be gone. I want to care about things that actually matter, right? I never, I just say it like this, I never want to have a, have a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And so I have to be careful where I direct my resources because my heart will follow that. My heart will follow whatever I spend my money on. And what I want to do, I want to just say, God, thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done in my life, 
and my generosity, all the arrows, anything that I can point outside of me, it's just my way of saying thank you for being so generous to me, being so generous to me. Here's the second reason why I give. I give because I want to position myself and my family for God's blessing. Um, I, am, I am very mindful of God's promises throughout scripture. And I want to claim the promises of God. And God does promise to bless the giver. Now I understand this, all right? 2019, we, especially in the suburbs, like we kind of push away from that sort of thinking because we don't want to be the give to get. We don't want to be the prosperity. I, listen, nobody's flying a jet anywhere around here to go preach somewhere else. You know what I'm saying? Like, like I don't own my own jet today. Like this isn't going to me. That's not why I'm talking about this. We're not passing the buckets again, anybody. We already did it once. No special offerings today. But what I am saying is that God has set out a way to live that is blessed. If you don't want that, that's on you. I want that. I don't want to not step into the blessed life that God has promised us because, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to be about that. No, if he's a good dad and he's promised to give good gifts for this way of life, I want to step into that way of life. And here's the deal. God has set out a way, one of the clearest promises in the entire Bible all right, is a verse that's been abused before, but I want us to hear what God is actually saying right here. Here it is, Malachi 3, verse 8. Here's what God says, okay? Will a man rob God? That's a horrible question. Of course not. Yet you have robbed me. This is what God says. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. In other words, everybody. So what's the solution? Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I love this because God makes it really clear like how much to give and where to give it. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Everybody say all the tithes. All the tithes. In other words, don't bring part of the tithes. Don't bring some of the tithes. Don't bring the tithes some of the times. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So that word tithe actually means 10%. It means 10th. So, a tithe, you know, some people are like, oh, I tithe today. There's $7. That's not a tithe unless you made $70. It is 10%. It's not 2%. It's not 20%. It's not 100%. Tithe is 10%. God tells us how much to give. He says tithe 10%. Why does he say that? Because it's fair. It doesn't matter if you made $300 last year or $300,000 last year. 10% is 10%. It's a, you know, a penny on every dime, a dime on every dollar. 10% is 10%. And here's what I love. It also says, bring the tithe back to the storehouse. In other words, it's not yours. If you really want to, you want to know what nails on a chalkboard sound like to me is when I hear people say, I'm going to pay my tithes. <laughs> if, if, if that's you, I love you. Just change your language. Okay. Change your language because it's, we don't pay our tithes. Guess what? We don't even give our tithes. We return our tithes. If I'm giving, I can't give something that's not mine. I can only return it. Right? So I'm returning it back to the Lord because it's his. How do I know that it's his? He says, when you don't give it, you're robbing from me. It's mine. Actually, I've given everything to you. 100% is mine, but I'm going to let you steward the 90%. Just give me lordship over it all by giving me the first. 
giving me the first. What's the first? It's returning back to God what's his. And where do I, where do I bring it? That's, that's what to give. Where do I bring it? I bring it into the storehouse. What's the storehouse? The storehouse is where you're fed. All right? So that means t- you don't send your tithe to your aunt overseas. You don't send your tithe to the TV preacher. Because guess what? When you lose your job, he ain't going to give you jack. Because he already spent it on his plane. Right? The storehouse is the local church. Right? Because we're called to care for the family right here. All right? So if you are planted here, if you belong here, your tithe goes here. Right? You give to God through the local church. If you belong to another church, you tithe to that church. If you don't belong to any church, get planted. Get planted. Don't hop around. Get planted in a storehouse. So God tells us how much to give, and he also tells us where to give it. And this whole idea, this whole idea right here, it is, it's a trust statement. Tithing is about trust, guys. Tithing is, tithing is about obedience. Tithing isn't about generosity, because I can't be generous with something that's not mine. Tithing is about trust. It's about obedience. Think about it like this. Here's what God says. This is the principle of first that's all throughout the Bible. God said, that's even Proverbs 3, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. What's the context for that? He says, give to God the first fruits. That's like the next verse. The context of trusting God is in regards to everything, but especially finances. And God says, if you trust me with 10%, think about this. God's in that context speaking to farmers. And so if I give God the first 10% that comes out of the ground, guess what? The rest of it hasn't grown yet. I don't know if anything's gonna come behind this. So I have to trust that if I give this to God, then he's gonna bless the rest. I have to trust that, trust that, trust that. God, but I believe this. You said that if I do it your way, you'll bless it. Here's what happens. Let's continue that on. Verse 10, here's what happens if we do it God's way. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this. Maybe you've never heard it said like this before. Like God, God, all throughout the Bible, God says, don't test the Lord. Like don't put your Lord, the, the Lord your God to the test. In other words, don't go on the top of the building today and like jump off and quote Psalms. Right, God said, he'll lift me up like on angel's wings. God's like, nah, da, 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 don't put me to the test. I might not do it. <laughs> but right here, as far as I know, this is pretty much the only place in the entire Bible that God says, hey, you can test me. Hold me to my word. Quote this, claim this, memorize this, do this, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. In our language, it's so that your bank account will be full and your investments will be blessed. That's, that's what he's saying right there. Here's what happened. If you go all the way back, Genesis 1, 2, 3, right? Adam and Eve sin, and then God comes in, he pronounces a curse on Eve, on the snake, and on Adam. And his curse towards Adam is this. Adam, the ground is cursed. For you to get anything out of this ground, you're going to have to break your back to make a buck. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to kill yourself just trying to get by. And then he comes along here to the Israelites, and he tells them how to break the curse off the ground. It's by tithing. If I give God the first, then he'll bless the rest. That's the whole idea of tithing. 
God doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. God does use the money to do amazing good. But this thing at the end of the day, it's about trusting God. Here's what happens. When I keep all of my money for myself, what I'm saying is, in money I trust. And then God's answer is, let's see how that works out for you. You ever tried that before? I'm going to keep it all to myself because I need all this money, right? And then you're like, where did it go? Haggai says, it's like you got holes in your pockets, right? I get paid. And they're like, wait, what you, I just, what the, who the, what the, I had money. But when I actually say, God, <laughs> I don't know how all this is going to work, but I trust you. I trust you. And here's, here's, Here's what I've decided. Listen, everybody has to come to their own place with us. As a husband, as a father, here's what I decided. The best way that I can provide for my family is to tithe. I know it doesn't make sense. It's the upside down logic of the kingdom. I can do more with 90% in God than 100% by myself. I can do more with 90% of blessed money than 100% of cursed money. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Like, if I'm actually, I, if I want to provide for my family, if I want to take care of my family, I'm going to do it God's way. And now here's the deal. I know this. Some, some of you are like, yeah, but you're the pastor of the church. Conflict of interest, dude. Should have had somebody else preach this message. I know where some of the money goes. <laughs> I acknowledge that. One, man, I, I tithe forever before I became a pastor. Because, because tithing is not a pastor issue, it's a trust issue. I started tithing in 1999, 1999. Um, it had just started coming to Victory. I remember I was uh, working my first job where I actually kind of made like decent money, like not like minimum wage. And uh, I was working at Outback. I was waiting tables there in Athens, going to UGA. And I remember I was on the phone with Summer, we were dating, and she mentioned something. She had gone to a victory service here. I was up in Athens that weekend, and she said, yeah, Pastor Dennis spoke on tithing. I, had no, I didn't really have any content. What does that mean? She explained it. I said, okay, yeah, I can do that. So $30 came in, $3 tied. $300 came in, $30 tied, right? And because I learned how to tithe when I had no money, when I actually started making money, tithing wasn't a problem because I hadn't formed my life around my greed. I had formed my life around my giving. And this is why I'm telling you, if you're younger in the room, get this now. Start tithing now. This is why I have my kids tithe on their allowance. Some of you are like, oh God, you're, oh, you're ruining their childhood. <laughs> so strict. No, I want to train them up in the way they should go. It... If they can tithe on $5, they're going to be able to tithe on their first $50 check from wherever they work, right? If we can learn it in the small things, then you can be trusted with greater things. I, I want them to learn now. I want, I want, to, I want to teach them now. And, and here's what I know. Here's what I know, okay? I've been doing this long enough. I want to save you a trip. I want to save you a trip. Because somebody's going to come up to me in the lobby today and be like, hey, I'm a New Testament giver. I'm not an Old Testament giver. Do we even know what we say sometimes? <laughs> like New Testament, these guys are like selling their houses and their cars. So God bless you. Like, go for it. You can send in the check this week, you know, for your house that you just sold. <laughs> Give it to the poor, right? You know, somebody else is going to come up and say, hey, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. I'm not under law, I'm under grace, brother, and so I don't have to tithe anymore. Um, 
Phil, do you got a, you got a wallet? Yes. <laughs> Let me have your wallet real quick. It's okay. <laughs> so here, here's, the, here's the funny thing whenever people talk about that. Um, people, you know, I, you know I'm, under, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. You understand that thou shalt not commit adultery was under the law? You can go home and be like, hey, honey, I've been having an affair on you with 15 women, but hey, I'm under grace. <laughs> so, like, it's good, right? Like, we're good. You know, thou shalt not murder was under the law. <laughs> hey, officer, I only killed two people this week, but I'm under grace. Right? You know, thou shalt not steal was under the law, right? But I'm under grace. <laughs> so... There's no ramifications for anything any longer. Guys, you understand, here's the deal. A curse is a consequence. That's what it is. There are consequences for not doing it God's way. And I can't tell you how many people have come to me and, and said, I, I can't even explain it, but once I started tithing, God, God started bringing it in. I got a raise here. This person started giving it. Like, I'm, I make you no promises. I can't fulfill anything for you. God's the one who said, test me in this. And I, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about the person next to you. So you can just look at them and you say, I don't know if you want to walk in God's blessings, but I want to walk in God's blessings. As far as me and my house are concerned, we're going to serve the Lord. All right? So point number three, point number three, just kidding. You can have your order. <laughs> Four reasons why I give. I was, I was thinking about keeping it longer, but you know. Um, here's the third one. I give because I want to live a sacrificial life before God. I want to live a sacrificial life before God. Here's the deal. Mo most Christians never even get to the first level, which is tithing, which is like bare bones. Um, but as I look at the life of God, I can't... As I look at the call of discipleship, I can't help but to see, like, our calling is not to ask how little can I give, but it's really to see how much can I give, right? Like, God is love, and I know that's one of the most abused things in our nation right now because nobody knows what that means. Like, God does not just do loving things. God is love. His essence, his nature is love, and so we look at what Jesus did to actually see what love is. Love is not, not love wins, love all the, listen, it's not, we, we, don't, we base our understanding of God's love based on human love when, when it should be the other way around. Like we base, we should base how we love based on how he loves. And so we look at what Jesus did. Jesus' love was giving. It wasn't selfish. It wasn't what makes me feel good. It was how can I give my life away? And I'm just telling you today, I am so glad that Jesus did not tithe his blood. He gave it all. He lived a sacrificial life of just saying, how much do I need to give? That's in the garden, man. That's when he's arguing with God. That's when he, he's wrestling with the Father, saying, God, could this cup be taken from me? Do I really have to pour it all out? Do I have to give everything? He sees what's gonna happen at the cross. He knows the pain. He knows the isolation. He knows the loneliness. He knows the weight of the sin. He knows all that. But he says, all right, God, if that's the direction I have to go, then Father, not my will, but your will be done. And I will be a living sacrifice for you. And here's what I know. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. 
The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am a walking dead man. Let everything that I do be about the glory of God. That is our calling. That's what a disciple looks like. If you're on the fringe of Christianity, if you're not a Christian, listen, you can take a five-minute break here for a second. But what I'm saying is, if you say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm a disciple, the gospel is free, but it costs you everything once you're in. It costs you the rest of your life. This is why you don't start building without taking the valuation of what it's going to cost you. That's what Jesus says, right? Nobody goes to war against another army without counting the cost. The cost is the rest of your life. But then when you close your eyes here, it opens up forever. And he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's the big idea, guys. And so I can live a sacrificial life here. I know that sometimes, sometimes, listen, I'm a person too. Sometimes I look at my neighbors and I see them renovating their basement or doing this or doing that. And I think, man, I could have so much stuff if I didn't tithe. Come on, somebody. Don't be just a nice little Christian in here today. You know you think that sometimes too. Sometimes like, man, like if I just didn't give the offerings, I could have that golf cart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the golf cart. Talked about that last week. <laughs> oh, that's my pet peeve. Oh, gosh, the golf cart. When you don't live on a golf course, what are you doing with that thing? Why? But there's part of me still that's like, man, I don't need it. I don't really want it. But it looks pretty nice when they're driving it down the street. I could go for a golf cart to go to the pool in <laughs> and I get like I get it that's just that that's the just the selfish little nature thing inside here and the gospel wages war against that the gospel wages war against the selfishness what feels good for me what do I want to do and it calls us to conform to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to come into conformity with Christ instead of conformity with the world and to live the sacrificial life. I know the world that we live in, especially if you're in the latter season of life. I know the world that we live in that just says, hey, store up, enjoy it when you're old. You deserve it. Guys, we don't deserve jack. We don't deserve anything except for hell. And I want to be the type of person, listen, I, I'm not there, but I want, I want to be the type of person that the older I get, the more sacrificial I become. Not that I'm storing up, storing up so I can enjoy it for those last few years before I cross over, get into heaven, and find out that it was all dirt to begin with. Like, I want to be more sacrificial at the latter stages of life than I am at the front end of life. But here's the deal. I want to balance this today, <laughs> sacrificial, because I know that's, man, that's a huge mountain. I want to balance this today against something that John Calvin said a long time ago, if you know that name. John Calvin, 500 years ago. Here's what he wrote about this, here's how I'd say it, almost like this never-ending spiral of sacrificial thought. Here's what he said. If a man begins to doubt whether he may use linen for his sheets, shirts, handkerchiefs, and napkins, he will afterwards also be uncertain about hemp, another material. For he will turn over in his mind whether he can eat without napkins or go without handkerchief. If any man should consider daintier foods unlawful, in the end, he will not be at peace before God, when he eats either black bread or common food, while it occurs to him that he could sustain his body on even coarser foods. If he boggles at sweet wine, he will not with clear conscience drink even flat wine. And finally, he will not dare touch water if sweeter and cleaner than other water. Here's what he's saying. When you get into this sacrificial way of thinking, you have to, you have to be careful or else you'll never actually have a clear conscience before God. And so again, I, I don't want you to leave here today and be like, oh, I can't believe I have this thing. All right, what I am just asking is, are you sacrificial? 
Because if we're not careful, we'll get like, oh, I have 12 spoons. There's only four people in my family. Oh, I should sell those eight spoons, right? And then we each have our own spoon with our name on it. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like, we are family. Like, what if we just shared one spoon? We could sell the other three. Oh, well, wait, but there are people around the world who don't even have spoons, so let's sell that and eat with our hands, right? Like, it is, it's this spiral, like, where does it end, right? And so uh, that's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is this, is that there is no forced vow of poverty that Christians have to take. God's not upset with you for having that third pair of shoes or the fourth. Maybe if you have 80, I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. God never comes down on David for having wealth. It's just the problem when the stuff has us. Is there's a problem when, when we live at such a high level, right, that we have nothing left to give when the opportunity arises. There's a problem when I have this and I have that payment and I have that and I bought that and I have that and I have that and I have that because I, I can afford the payments, but then I have nothing left to give to God or other people at the end of the month. That's the problem. The problem isn't us spending money on ourselves. The problem is when we spend all of our money on ourselves. And I think the call of God today is inviting us into a sacrificial way of life. Just saying, God, it doesn't have to be all about me because this place is not my home and I can't take it with me. (laughs) And so how can I invest in things that actually matter? Which is the, here's the last reason. Fourth reason I give. I give because I want the money God entrusts me with to matter, to matter. I don't want it just to be temporal. I want it to matter. Maybe if you were like me, I started coming to Victory in 1999. And the, the first thing that grabbed me was that we had the vision on the walls, right? Um, I, I, you know, I don't know about you. If you came from a church that had vision, most churches have no vision. You're like, is the vision to stand up and sit down, stand up? sit down, stand up and say a few things, then open up to page 348 in our hymnal. Like, is that the reason we're here, right? But we came here and there was actually like the vision on the walls. And I looked at it and I said, I want to resource that vision because that thing matters, right? Like I looked up here at the building family and said, uh, I want to resource that because especially as I've gotten further into it, I see that every single week there are, there are marriages being put back together here. Like what was broken is being made whole. Husbands are coming home, wives are coming home. Like, like God is doing amazing things. Even right now, next door, like your children, your, your babies, your toddlers, infants are being loved on. Like your, your elementary students had a live band of other kids today. Um, you know, during this service, the middle school is meeting right here. You know, the, uh, in this room on Wednesday nights, our high school students meet. That we have young adult ministry, we have 050. Like, like that's, that matters. And I wanna resource that. I want to give to something that actually matters and transforming community. Like we believe that the church should actually matter. If we disappear tomorrow, people should notice. And so I I noticed like this church, we go into the prison down the street. There's a big prison right down there. We go in there on a regular basis. And um, we're, we're actively helping, partnering with ministries to pull girls out of sex trafficking, teenagers out of sex trafficking, get them into to good homes. Um, we're, we're foster things. And we're going into nursing homes to, to be with the forgotten, right? I want to resource that. I want to give to that because it matters. Reconciling cultures up here. Maybe if you're new with us for the first time, you're like, I ain't never been in a church like this. What are all these black people doing here? What are all these white people doing here? What are all these Latino people doing here? Like, like I'm used to just going to a church where everybody looks like me, right? I love this. We have over 140 cultures here. Uh, we're still involved in one race. 
In fact, later on today, I got to call one of the pastors because he's a pastor of a little church and his car broke down and so he doesn't have the resources to fix it. So today, we are going, are going to fix the transmission on his car so he can continue doing ministry to the Spanish community around here. I want to resource that. That matters. That matters. Uh, impacting nations. The, we do mission trips. We support over 60 missionaries, uh, foreign and, and domestic, through the church. And I love this. We put our heads together. Uh, myself, Pastor Dennis, Pastor Mo, put our heads together. And we just, we just pulled up a few of the cool things that we've done over the years. And I want to end with this. Um, in 2006, Christmas Gift to the World, uh, we uh, gave to Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And um, I've actually been in this building. I love this. This is an orphanage that we built for uh, girls who were at high risk for sex trafficking. Some of them actually were in sex trafficking. Um, but as I went with Pat Bradley, just had um, coffee with him a few weeks ago. He's over the ministry that runs this. And um, these, where they found the majority of these girls is they were homeless, four years old, five years old, six years old, uh, homeless, had no parents, and they were walking around at night in the red light district asking for food as five-year-old little girls. You can imagine the wolf that was prowling. And they pulled them off the street and they brought them to, this is one of my favorite stories, I can't even tell it. But they, they brought them off the street and they brought them to this home and they came in and they started freaking out because they had never actually had a bed. And said, all the girls were like screaming, like, I want the top one, I want the bottom one. Like, and you guys gave to that. Like, that's working for you when you're sitting here. Like, doing the time change. They may even be, like, asleep or about to go to sleep right now. Sleeping in the beds that we bought. Um, in, in Grafton, Sierra Leone, Joan uh, Williams is a member here. She, uh, she's from Sierra Leone. And God gave her a vision to start a school. And... Uh, that's one of the, Sierra Leone is actually the fourth poorest nation in the world. And uh, many children don't have access to schools. It's just not a thing. And so we spent $650,000 <laughs> building this school. And now hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of boys and girls go to the school. It actually had, for four years in a row, they actually had the highest um, standardized test scores in their entire state there in Sierra Leone out of the school. Like that's what we gave to that. In 2010, if you remember the earthquake in Haiti, and uh, I actually went there right after that hurricane, right after the earthquake, and I remember this building, and this was an orphanage. Thank God nobody, uh, none of the girls died in that. I remember, I remember that basketball goal in their back. I remember that. And um, it's completely devastated, but uh, we partnered together and we gave, and so we constructed this new orphanage where right now, children are in that orphanage while you're sitting in your seats. Children are in that orphanage. Um, right after that, uh, another Christmas gift to the world, um, part of it was sent to Bangalore, India. And this is through Mark Jackemeyer, who I'm going to meet with this week. But um, if you see at the bottom there, it says Temple Prostitute Rescue Home. Not too many of those in America, <laughs> but this is a cultural reality, is that in a land of high idolatry, there are actually still temple prostitutes in India. And this was a home that we helped to build that is actively still pulling women out of the temple prostitution system and giving them honor, giving them dignity, um, giving them Christ, completely changing the trajectory of their lives. Uh, also there in India, um, Orissa, 
in Orissa, India. This is in the, in the northern part of India. This actually right here is in a um, really persecuted area that we need to be praying for. We have missionaries uh, there who are part of this church who actually took on this home, uh, this orphanage, and it was in shambles, like exposed wiring, like really bad situation. And so you guys helped to completely repair uh, this orphanage where right now um, there are children inside this, this orphanage. Um, there's actually 400 children in that orphanage that you guys, I mean, they're there right now while you're sitting here and you paid for that. Um, another one is the, obviously last, last year, the Puerto Rico hurricane. And as we gave, this was our Christmas gift to the world, almost $700,000, something, somewhere around there came in, which half of it went here and half of it went there and, uh, here to another ministry outside here. And, um, we par actually partnered with 20 different ministries and this right here, you built that, like you built that building right there. And what it was, uh, that right there is actually a place to be able to bring in pastors for training to send them out all over the island. Uh, so we believe in multiplicative effect of that. And so you build that. And then there's other, other pictures we can't show. Uh, if you've been here long enough, a few years ago, we gave to Out of Darkness which is a ministry here in Atlanta that, that rescued girls out of sex trafficking, like teenagers, like 15 year olds, 16 year olds out of sex trafficking. And the problem was there aren't any beds in the state, there aren't enough beds. So we created beds and so you guys gave, and now we can't show you the picture, <laughs> it's private, um, but uh, there's actually a home where girls can go when they get pulled out of these terrible situations instead of getting put in halfway houses. So medical centers, there's one, one place in Africa a few years ago, we built 14, we dug 14 wells. And um, on the other side of digging those wells, the mortality rate decreased by 60% in that region. 60% just by digging wells. And I love this, like that matters, that matters. I wanna to give to things that matter. And the beautiful thing is over the course of victory, okay, 29 and a half years or so, is now we've at, we finally crested one of the numbers, one of the cool numbers, is that now we have actually given over $70 million into missions, out, into missions. And as of about a month ago, we as a church are officially debt-free. We are debt-free. <laughs> I love it. So here's what that tells me. Here's what that tells me, okay? What it tells me is this room is full of tithers and givers. The question is, are you one of them? <laughs> the number is this, and it's, it's much higher in victory, but the, the, the average actual national American statistic is this, somewhere around seven to 8% of people who call themselves Christians are tithers and givers. Um, and so that, that, that inside of me, what that does is like, how much more could be accomplished for the kingdom of God? If we just got outside of ourselves, that life isn't just all about me. If we got outside of ourselves and started living a life of generosity, how many churches could be fully funded? How many, how many missionaries could be kept on the field and put on the field? Most missionaries come off the field because they lose funding. They have to stress out about actually finding funding. How many orphanages could be built? Wells could be dug? How many, I, I think about this. If we actually, if the people of God gave, how? What would it look like if we started taking over some of these broken government programs that the government's having to do because the church can't do it, because the resources aren't here to do it? Like how much more efficiently could it be done? How much more lovingly could it be done? 
How many more people could be involved in that? And so I just hear this today, guys. I hear this call to step outside of ourselves and to be givers. Not to be takers, but to be givers. I think it's in us. It's there. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's, let's pray. If you, if you just say, hey, I want to I be a giver. I want you to raise your hands. I want to have a heart of generosity. I don't, know how, I don't know what it would look like. Maybe I only have $2 today to give to a friend or help somebody at Publix. Or, yeah, I don't, God, I don't know how it all come together, but God, that, that desire is on the inside of me. Maybe, maybe you're in here, you're not making big bucks or anything like that, but it's not about that. Man. It's about just being generous with what you have. Finding a way to, to bless the people of God, finding a way to bless your neighbors, finding a way to bless your friends, finding a way to bless the community and the nations. God, help us right now. Rescue us from this, this trap of, of selfishness. God, deliver us from evil. God, deliver us from greed. God, help us to turn the arrows around and start pointing them out. God, I, I, I say this for us. God, I, I we, we want to be the type of people who have the resources with the wisdom, with the heart to steward those resources well, to be a giver, to be generous. God, impart to us a giving heart. Right now, um, right now, Father, we turn and we bless the churches in this area. God, we pray that, they, that the dreams and the vision that you placed on their hearts would be fully funded in Jesus' name. God, all the, all the Victory Partner churches, all of our daughter churches that we planted, God, may they be fully funded. God, God the vision in Jesus' name. God, we're praying for the vision that you put in 12 Stone to be fully funded in Jesus' name. God, we're praying for the vision you put in Free Chapel, the vision you put in Gwinnett Church, God, to be fully funded, the vision that you put inside the denominational churches in this area, God, to be fully funded in Jesus' name. Let the kingdom of heaven come. Let the will of God be done here on earth as it is in heaven. All for the glory of Jesus. Jesus Christ be glorified. God, rescue us from the trap of suburban American thinking that is just about us and us for and no more. God, help us to lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. <laughs> and you still have a dream to come to pass for Atlanta. You still have a dream to come to pass for our family, for our neighborhood, God, for the nation and for the nations. And what we do right now, God, we acknowledge the fact that you have been very generous to us, that God so loved the world that he gave God, we receive that generosity today. Some of us in here, you just, you need to respond to the generosity of God and just say, God, I receive your generosity. God, I receive your love today. I receive the gift of Jesus today. God, I receive the overwhelming love of God into my life that cleanses me of sin, makes me a new person. And so God, I'm not just gonna receive that, I'm gonna allow it to transform me you can just even pray in your own heart. Just say, God, I, I'm turning away from those old loves, from my old selfishness, my old greed. I'm gonna point my life at you for the rest of my life. You are my Lord, you're my savior. God, I'm living for you. Help me to have a generous heart just like you do. God, right now, what we do, we invite the heart, the generous heart of the living God to enter down inside each and every one of us. All for the glory and the name and the fame of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, Amen.